Welcome to Junior Doctors Corner, the podcast that helps medical students and junior doctors like yourself not only survive but thrive in your careers. We cover topics including doctor well-being, career, and life outside of medicine. My name is Dana and I am your host for this podcast. Are you ready for a healthy dose of support, motivation, and inspiration? Then let's start this episode stat. Hi, Dr. Patsy Tremaine. Thank you so much for joining me on Junior Doctors Corner. That's a pleasure. Now, uh, for those of our listeners who um, haven't had the pleasure of knowing about your work or meeting you before, can you please tell them a bit about yourself? I would go back probably to a time when I was an elite athlete. I was a springboard and highboard diver, um, and I trained mostly in the United States under the U.S., Uh, Olympic diving coach at the time and I was always interested in how the mind and body worked and my mind never seemed to be on the same page with my body. (laughs) I was scared of some of my dives and I didn't really have the skills and techniques back then to harness that fear and turn it into something positive. Now, this bugged me, and years later, I decided to study what was a fairly new field at that time, sports psychology, and I had to go to the USA to study it because we didn't have anything here in Australia or in New Zealand at the time. I eventually returned and started working in Australia as a sports psychologist I still wasn't satisfied with my knowledge of the links between mind and body, and so I commenced a PhD um, in psychophysiology at the University of New South Wales. And one day was when I was on the radio talking about stress management, um, a woman rang up and said, I want, I want the phone number, I want a contact. Uh, Patsy. And when I spoke to her, she was the mother of a doctor, a physician, who'd already failed his clinical twice. And he was devastated. And this was back in the day when physicians had to go up to a big door and they would have a list of who passed. And if your name was on the list, in you went through the door to have champagne with the examiner. And if your name wasn't on the door, you put your tail between your legs and uh, you were devastated at your failure. So this had happened to him twice. So uh, this is about six weeks or six months before the next attempt. So I worked with him and I treated him like an elite athlete, gave him stuff to do. He had a training diary. Uh, We worked quite hard and he passed. And I was so elated at the fact that he had passed. This was more interesting to me than working a lot with athletes. And he started sending people to me. And eventually, over time, this became a full-time job working with doctors. That's that's so fascinating. And um, so it sounds like you basically kind of fell into that job. Yes. 
Yes, I I was just so interested. This, I mean, obviously doctors are intelligent, motivated people, and he had a goal in mind and he wanted to get through it, so he was driven to do it. And it just appealed to what I wanted to teach. And so I, I liked it better than sport. And, you know, your example there clearly demonstrates that exams are just as much of a psychological game as it is about just how much we know. A doctor can know as much as his next colleague, but if he can't psychologically, you know, or mentally get over his nerves um, when it comes to sitting exams, that can make the difference between passing or failing. Well, it does. And it's sad because doctors study hard, most of them. And their knowledge is good. They have the knowledge, most of them. But they don't communicate that knowledge. They don't communicate it well and succinctly in written or oral form. And, of course, it's harder for people who have English as a second language as well. So, yes, and there are other psychological impacts that come into play as well it's unlike elite athletes doctors are a bit older they have more of a life in that they're at a stage where they're dating getting married having young children they're working long hours they're working shift work they're having to study they're having to do research I don't think they realize how different it is from med school to actually working out in the real world and having to get on with life as well. Yeah. Well, for today's interview, we're going to dive deep into tips and tricks and the psychology behind sitting paper-based exams. Let's see how we go. I really would like to bring you back down the track to talk about um, the psychology for clinical exams. But for today, we're going to tackle paper-based exams. So can you please share with us your top three study tips when it comes to paper-based exams? One thing that residents and registrars need to recognise is that they need possibly to change when they study. In med school, if you're in your 20s, it's quite normal to be studying at night and studying through the night and cramming, and you can do it. Uh, And this might well be partly because the brain doesn't completely mature and until between the ages of 25 and 29. And the prefrontal cortex is a part of the brain that is delayed in maturing. If you look at a graph of the mature prefrontal cortex, it activates in the morning up till about midday. This is a great time to synthesize and integrate material into long-term memory if you study in the morning. In the afternoon, the prefrontal cortex starts to fatigue and it takes longer to get into long-term memory stuff that you want to remember. And, of course, at night, after a long day, it's even harder. So, I think that studying in the morning, studying at an optimal time of the brain is one technique that I think is important. 
I believe that studying, you shouldn't go all day, I mean, or, or for long periods of time. I usually get people to study for 50 minutes and then take a 10-minute break. Study and change topics every hour. This is so the prefrontal cortex can stay more focused. Okay. And also start off with a topic they don't like. It's human nature, I think, to avoid topics we don't like. So if you start <laughs> off with a topic you don't like and leading up to topics that you like more and more, by the time you finish at 12, you're still reasonably focused and able to attend to what you're reading. Study intently for a period of time, not too long, and take short breaks. Now, the short breaks just mean that you recover. And so, uh, as I say, I, I say 50 minutes on and 10 minutes off. And the 10 minutes, I like people to get up away from their desk you know, go out, go to the toilet, have a cup of tea. If you've got kids, go and give them a hug, something like that, or go put clothes on the line. Uh, there's always something to do in a household. But it just gives the brain a bit of recovery. And when you come back for the next topic, you're reasonably fresh. One tip I do have, I think, is I would separate study from testing. Okay. Study. I think should be when you're fresh so that you can assimilate it all. But testing, I think, should be done probably when you come home from work, whether you come home at night or whether you come home in the morning after a night shift. I think it should be done at a time when you're tired. And if you come home at night, sometimes the temptation just to put your feet up have a glass of wine and watch Netflix is quite high. If you work on the, the exam components at home at night, specific little things, you probably don't need to test for more than an hour, even an hour and a half. That would be maximum. But there are some values to doing this. Firstly, you're tired, so you're likely to have lots of sabotaging thoughts. You're probably going to procrastinate. You're probably going to say to yourself, oh, oh, I'm tired. I'll do twice as much tomorrow night. Yep. Well, tomorrow night never happens. Yep. <laughs> and what you're doing is developing the ability to rally against those sabotaging thoughts. Eventually it becomes a habit that you're going to do something when you come home, either you're going to come home, you're going to bathe the kids, get them into bed, and then you're going to do a bit of study, or you're going to come home, maybe your partner's going to make dinner while you go straight to your office and, and do some uh, testing. But doing that testing at a time when you're tired is actually quite useful because exams are never at night, except maybe recent exceptions in mm. Sydney because of COVID, but they're never at night normally. And there's a good reason for that. People are tired. They've had long days at work. So you're under pressure. So if you can test and even test just adequately, you're testing at a time when you're under pressure. And if you can practice under pressure like that, then you're able to perform on demand. So performing in an exam 
it's not going to be so hard, whether it's in the morning or the afternoon, because you've already learnt to do some exam components under pressure at night. Hmm. And would that be the same as also giving yourself less time per question when you're practicing as opposed to what the real amount of time you get in an actual exam? Well, yes, that, that, that brings in speed versus accuracy. Now, you don't want to take off so much time that you really don't get enough down. Mm. I, I would suggest in a 10-minute question that, you probably do it in nine minutes rather than ten. And set a timer to do it so that you, if you've got a handwritten question, uh, just do it to time like that, uh, but in nine minutes. And in that nine minutes, I would in, I would tend to include pre-performance routine. So that would probably be the third area that I would consider, having a pre-performance routine. If you think about athletes, they always have pre-performance routines. A diver standing on the board will do a few things to get themselves ready, as will the gymnast or a soccer player who's about to do a penalty shot. It's for the closed skills is when you see the pre-performance routine, not the running up and down the field, but when they pause to um, to do a goal or pause to do a vault over a gymnastics box or do a dive I mean they have them in in anesthetics they don't call them that in the guidelines right but they do have pre-performance routines for anesthetists who mix drugs oh I didn't know this yes well anesthetists they're the only specialists who who can use drugs mix them um, and deliver them (laughs) You look at the date. You have specific ways of doing it. And if an anaesthetic consultant was driving to work and his list started at 7.30 and he nearly had a major accident with a huge truck, imagine how shaky and how the adrenaline would be rampant when he came into work. Now, the chances are, that he could quite easily make a mistake when mixing drugs. So that is why they have pre-performance routines. So to go back to maybe doing um, short answer questions, Mm -hmm. um, speed versus accuracy, doing it in nine minutes instead of ten, which makes the brain just work a little harder, you think a little faster, you get used to thinking a bit faster, but in addition, having a pre-performance routine. Now, my suggestion for a pre-performance routine for a paper exam in an SAQ would be taking a big breath. That would be the first thing. The second thing would be underlining the key words. And the third thing would be writing some headings to plan out how you were going to do your answer. It doesn't work quite as easily as that because now in a lot of those short answer questions, they have different parts and some parts have variable marks. But one part of the question might have quite a long answer. It might start off with discuss, 
and in which case you could write a little plan. But the idea of um, the breath, first of all, well, you're going to have a fight-and-flight response whenever you evaluate, even even when you evaluate yourself, you're going to have a fight-and-flight response. And certainly you're going to have a fight-and-flight response in an exam. It just happens. But it's good if we can, to a certain extent, control that fight-and-flight response. And the only way that we really can do that quite quickly is with our breath. If we take a big diaphragmatic breath, we can actually lower the heart rate, not by much, probably only five or six beats, but at least it's on its way down towards homeostasis. The research does show that if the heart rate is too high for a particular task, then the chances are that our attentional capacity is diminished and we cannot access what we have in our brain. And I think we've all found that at times. We know what we want to say, but we just can't get it out. So this is why one does a pre-performance routine. It helps you focus. That breath helps you focus on the task, focusing on the question. Underlining the key words, it helps to emphasize making sure that you see every key word in that scenario and particularly the verbs in the questions that might be asked at the end so that you know whether to outline or whether to discuss or whether to summarise or whether to critically evaluate. They're all a little bit different. And then the third thing is if, if the SAQ only has one question or if it has a part which is rather a large part with a lot of marks attached to it perhaps, then you could write headings. So, for instance, psychiatrists, they have to do a, a critical essay, which is a quote. It's just a quote. And they have to write a critical essay and it's got to cover various guidelines um, across the psychiatric curriculum. Which they, which they get out of the quote. So that would be a perfect time for them to write headings uh, to, so that they could set out what they wanted to talk about, set out headings, set out subheadings. Makes it a lot easier uh, then to uh, organise their essay. hope that makes some sense. Oh, definitely. That's a lot of great tips there. Thank you so much. Um, I guess I just wanted to briefly summarize um, all the um, great wisdom and tips that you've just shared. Um, so I guess firstly is just choosing the time that we study. It's most optimal during uh, early in the mornings and um, doing our best to sort of after work if we get ourselves to do practice questions um, that will then help prime us to um, deal with um, the exam day itself a lot better, we'll be performing a lot better. The second bit that you talked about 
this is now really testing my recall, um, <laughs> um, is having um, a pre-performance uh, routine or, or ritual, I guess, um, you know, um, uh, and I love the examples you gave of athletes and my favorite um, sport is tennis and I, my favorite um, tennis player is Rafa Nadal and I love how um, this really reminds me of what he does, which is he counts the number of times he bounces the ball and he always pulls at his underwear before he <laughs> sort of pulls back and does a serve. So, you know, but we just got to do our own medical version of that. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly it. <laughs> um, and then I guess um, there are just some little tricks and techniques to how we can um, structure the way we answer our questions to sort of help set us up for success to maximize the number of marks that we get. You know, we've talked a lot about tips around studying and preparing for the exams, but do you, Patsy, have any do's and don'ts for the actual day of the exam or just right before the exam? Because um, I certainly was a mess uh, just before my exam. Just leading up to the exam, then the few days before the exam, don't cram. <laughs> don't cram. You're tempted to, but don't. You want to be fresh on the day. And on the day itself, plan what you're going to do. Plan how you're going to travel to the venue if you are travelling to a venue. I've had people travel and they're running late and they're so flustered by the time they get there. And another thing is don't talk to the other candidates. Anxiety is catching. If you go into registration, go in, sit there and close your eyes and, and try to ignore the other candidates as much as possible. Another thing that's quite important to do, and a lot of athletes do this, is prime. Prime yourself so that when you're getting out of bed in the morning, before you get out of bed, just lie there. And think to yourself, this is going to be a good day. I know my stuff. I've got good knowledge. I've worked hard. I'm going to remain cool um, and collected. And I'm going to show them what I know. This is just a priming exercise. And you can do that when you're sitting in registration with your eyes closed. You can do the same thing. And then when you get into the exam and you're sitting at the computer or you're sitting at the desk, Sit there and organise. You know how long you've got for each part of your paper. You might, if, you, if you've got any reading time, if they allow you to pick up a pen, you could probably write a template down the side as to where you want to be at a certain time. So you might have wanted to do uh, three questions by within half an hour or something. Um, I would also plan in a 30-second break into your into your exam, whereby you just put your pen down, you sit back, close your eyes, and take a few deep breaths. Just let yourself relax. Sit up again, fresh, and continue on. And keep in mind that the pre-performance routines, they come into their own in the exam. If you just go through the questions from 1 to 15 or whatever it is, you're going to undoubtedly come across one or two oh-my-God questions. 
And if you have a pre-performance routine, the fight and flight response won't go as high. You will just breathe. You'll just underline. You will make your plan. And even though you know very, very little about that question, because you've remained calm, chances are you're going to remember more bits than you might otherwise do. But not only that, if you can remain cool and calm during that terrible question you've just done, it's not going to impact on all the other questions. You won't be thinking about it all the time. You'll just continue on. So I I find that to be useful. Oh, and at lunchtime, don't sit and have post-mortems. Wait until your exam is completely over at the end. Yeah, I uh, have to say, um, I didn't feel good after talking to other candidates after my um, first paper after day one. (laughs) So I agree with you there, Patsy. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it either reaffirms that you know your stuff or else it leaves doubts that you don't. Yeah. And either way, it's not worth it. <laughs> That's some very good advice. Thank you. Um, so for our listeners who would like to get in touch with you or get more personalized help from you, how can they get in touch with you? Well, there are two ways that I think are most effective. One is through my website, mm-hmm. com, or contact me via email, my other email, which is patsytremaine at gmail.com. And I take that you uh, do help a lot of doctors, not just with you know clinical exam prep, but you do also help them out with um, paper-based prep as well. Is paper-based exams, interviews, interviews to get on programs, interviews for jobs, and of course clinical programs. Because clinical, clinical, sitting clinical exams is different. There's so much non-verbal communication, which is very important. I mean, if you've sat your written exams, you've sat the knowledge part, haven't you? Mm, yes. But the clinicals, that is demonstrating your knowledge by the way you communicate. Yep. Okay. And that's that's another skill. What are some other things you've uh, been doing to keep yourself sane during this crazy time right now? Well, one thing I've been doing, and this is what I often suggest for people who have young kids, is watch zoo cams. Zoo cams? Yes. I must admit my first attempt at watching a zoo cam was uh, pretty unsuccessful. I watched the tigers and I sat there for 10 minutes and I didn't even see a leaf move. (laughs) The next time I decided to watch the meerkats and I've since discovered that the meerkats and the otters are the most joyful creatures to watch and I, I could sit and watch them for hours. And that is something that parents can do when they want to have downtime with their young kids when they're not studying. So watching zoo cams is one thing. Another thing is um, on your study desk, why not invest in having a big bunch of flowers? Mm. Just having it sitting there, it looks good and it smells good and it just makes you feel better. Mm. Or um, having your study you know, your desk overlooking a big garden, you know, just 
because in lockdown, I think uh, psychologically we need to be outside. We need to go outside a lot. And if we don't get to go outside, it does affect us psychologically. And doctors are busier than most other people and they work nights and they often sleep all day. So they're not getting outside enough. So if you can do little things that bring the outside in, Mm. this helps. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that um, with us, Patsy. It was really helpful. Good. I'm glad. I I hope people can use it. Thank you. Thank you. If you really like that episode, please don't forget to leave a review on iTunes to help a sister out. And don't forget to subscribe to our email list so that you never miss an episode.